1: A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekewisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited, and of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns.
2: Raising capital or taking your business to the world? Investment Fix has everything you need to make it happen. This season, we're exploring the US market, the opportunities it offers, what it takes to grow a business there, and the best way to approach investors. The Investment Fix Podcast.
1: Tune in today.
2: Sorry, can we just. Sorry, my family. Guys, I'm doing a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Koto katoa. Welcome to Gone by Lunchtime. My name is Toby Manhai, and much like the Member of Parliament for Mount Albert, I am stuck at home, isolating with COVID in the house, but personally, relentlessly negative, 99.6% naturally immune. Happily, Ben Thomas and Annabelle lee Mather, and also Sonny, the dog, are in the studio with our silver-voiced audio guru, Tiaihe Butler. Hello, everybody.
1: Kia ora. Morena. Kia ora.
2: Kia ora. Uh, Prince Harry is also in the studio. Prince Harry's there between Annabelle and Ben, but we're not going to let him speak. Sorry about that, Harry.
0: By by appearing on this podcast, the average cost of each podcast Harry uh, makes has come down to about $23 million. That's right.
2: That's right. It's quite a good idea, though, I think, having a permanent podcast host who never says a thing. You know, it's it's pushing boundaries. A big thanks to members, without whom you would be listening right now, to Joe Rogan or lying in silence, contemplating the ineffable mystery of the human soul. Thank you, spinoff members. Right now, it is brunch time on Wednesday, May 11, 2022. And we're going to talk, among other things, about Te Pāti Māori, Shane Retti, Trevor Mallard, emissions budgets. But first, Ben Thomas and Annabelle Lee-Matha are fizzing with excitement because it's only seven sleeps until Budget Day. Ben Thomas, you have worked in the Ministerial Office of Christopher Finlayson, you have seen a little bit of how the uh, meat pie is made. The budget will have been done and dusted, printed indeed, for some time, I guess. Um, When does the process start? Like months and months in advance? Last year?
0: Yeah, essentially, uh, sort of as people are hung over and dusting themselves off from the drinks in the Minister of Finance's office Hmm. on the eighth floor of the Beehive, uh, sorry the 7th floor of the beehive uh the the next morning treasury officials will come and and present them with the working papers for the next year's budget <laughs> oh my god
2: how annoying.
0: Um, it's <laughs> a, a blue powerade <laughs> and, a, and a stack of in tray papers um actually, actually i think it it even actually starts a little bit before then um it, it's it's this con- it's this constant sort of rotation um and uh, one thing that's interesting, the budget budget day is sort of like telethon for political <laughs> it's this it's this big event that's televised there's all these sort of little side projects and quests you know as yeah. as you can
1: you coin can, trails yeah
0: you can you can there's Easter eggs everywhere you can pour through the consolidated accounts looking for sort of new spending in every area um you know there'll be the main storyline which is the you know the, the the key press releases that come with uh, the the budget pack that gets given to journalists, and that's the sort of narrative that the government wants to set out of the budget. Is
1: that uh, like a goodie bag?
0: Yeah, sort of. It, it it will normally be a combination of first of all the the future look at you know the prospects. You know, from this, you know, what you predict that this budget will do to the economy and how the economy will track in the next five years. And you'll boast about how you'll boast about surpluses that you haven't actually made yet, but that have been predicted. You'll boast about getting deficits down, even though it's four years away. And you'll talk about how the country's on the right track, uh, which is exactly what you want heading into an election year. And the other thing will be, you know, the new spending promises, um, of which this year, absolute bonanza, $6 billion uh, set aside in the the new operating expenditure uh, for the government. Uh, I think it might be a record high uh, for a budget. There was, Of course, we had that um, that you know massive $80 billion uh, COVID recovery and response fund, yeah. that massive, you know, you might want to call it a slush fund, um, you know, because once we had sort of finished with COVID and once 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 we 'd sort of paid for vaccinations and stuff there was a lot of money left over in it. It turned out that an essential part of the COVID response was slashing the fuel excise tax in response to the war on Ukraine um, and, you know, a lot of other stuff that was only very tangentially uh, related. But
2: but well, bio-labs
0: in Ukraine, after all. Think about yeah. it. Join the dots. <laughs> but the, the government and the opposition just... The, the, this is what the budget really is, right? We talk about confidence and supply uh, for a government, you know, especially when... It normally comes up when you're having coalition agreements. Confidence is just: do you have the confidence of the house? Do a majority of people in parliament say that you can form a government? Yes, that's confidence. Supply is any money that the government spends has to be appropriated by parliament, and that's what the budget is. The budget is saying this is the amount of money that that you're allowed to raise in taxes or allowed to earn from you know, and and this is what you can spend. You can't spend it without parliament's permission. And so, it, it's interesting. People talk about sort of the you know the 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 New Zealand government as if it's a household, um, and there's you know lots of problems with that metaphor. But th- one of one of the sort of formal problems with the metaphor is that if you go through the budget, the budget documents, and you try and add everything up. You won't get sort of a a balanced figure it's it's not actually done in the sort of way that business accounts are done where you 've got sort of income and expenditure the The budget documents are actually talking about appropriations, which is just how much the government is allowed to spend um so so it's not it's not we talk about the government books, but they're not really the government books the The budget is actually just what it's sort of allowing itself to spend in the future it's an intention to spend money that parliament then rubber stamps and so so it can be you know it can be very confusing sort of trying to read these documents in the same way as like a budget for your you know for your 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 august where you sort of say well we're going to cut down netflix and that'll let me get you know sort of one mcdonald's happy <laughs> meal was that sunny mhm mm-hmm. hmm. sunny's so, um, contribution
2: was i oh, sorry i missed that sunny
1: she just just sort of chucked up a little furball.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> but the thing is with... So, so, so anyway, the, the, on the day, the, the government is trying to set a narrative out of all of this, right? Out of tens of billions of dollars worth of spending, they're trying to say, actually, there's a cohesive theme that runs through this that tells you what sort of government we are and where we're going as a country. And... And and within that, you've got all of these individual ministers who all have been working on their budget bids for, you know, months. You know, Mm. they may have started a year early as well with the help of their officials trying to get funding for their particular areas and initiatives within it. And they're they're trying for the, the, you know, the absolute peak, which is to get their press release about their new initiative into the budget pack so that people will... Conclude that's part of the narrative, uh, and or or even better, a pre-budget announcement in the two weeks leading up.
1: What, what, why 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 do they do pre-budget announcements?
0: So the budget used to be super secret, right? It used to there, there was this idea that because the budget is because the government is such a big part of the New Zealand economy, and because the budget used to be where you know new taxes were announced. So in the old days, on budget day, you know I think the speech would be read out at about. Uh, sort of 6pm at night. And before that, you know, you'd have these, these classic Kiwiana scenes of people going and buying up sort of uh, bootloads worth of liquor and cigarettes in case, <laughs> in case the ta- the tax went up on them. So there used to be this super secrecy about it because it was sort of market sensitive, it was consumer sensitive. Th- these days, that's kind of, you know, th- these days there's much better reporting throughout the year about you know the, about what the what the you know the state of the government's books and and what it's intending to do and how much money it's intending to raise and so there isn't that same same secrecy there's still a convention around it which is why there was such a freak out you know when the, there was that so-called hack of yeah. the budget in 2019 2019 2018 yeah. wasn't it definitely uh, one of them 2019 uh, which turned out to be the National Party just going to the Treasury website and searching <laughs> in the search bar, <laughs> budget twenty nineteen, and it was apparently all just out there. So, but the, the but but yeah. So now pre pre budget announcements really, it's just a PR thing. It's just making sure that these announcements don't get lost in the sort of big. Uh,
2: and it's part of a wider sort of political spin culture now that means that, you know, you need to announce things over and over again. I mean, I remember in the Blair government, you know, they used to sometimes triple announce things. You know, you get the, so you get a kind of direction of travel, you get a budget announcement, and then you get the laying out of the policy, and each are made to appear like a, you know, we are going to spend £500 million on something, but it's all the same money over and over again, right?
0: Um, Yeah, yeah, definitely, and... So, 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 and and you'll then you'll have post-budget announcements as well of initiatives that were in the budget but weren't deemed sort of sufficiently important or integral enough to the narrative to be either in the budget pack or in the pre-announcements. So you might have a, an announcement three weeks later about something that you got funding for that was just sort of overlooked at the time. Um, and there and there's there's a real fight for this when in the twenty. I think I wrote about this for the spinoff, but in the twenty. Uh, the 2009 budget, which was the first one of the the John Key era, and that was where there were Cuts. I think they they wanted five percent cuts across the board mm. because of the global financial crisis. But there were some increases, and we managed to get some increases in arts spending for all these um, sort of government funded organisations that had lost sponsorship and stuff because of um, because of the, the financial crisis. The golden age, Ben. The golden yeah. age. And 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 we managed we managed to get a press release into the package. I think it was by far the least popular announcement of the entire budget including cuts <laughs> increasing our <arts> funding <laughs> uh, but 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 the other thing you know there, there's a lot of negotiation that goes on normally normally with press releases when you, you announce a policy you know, you, you've got a lot of latitude. Um, because if it's the budget, you know, that's really the finance minister's thing. You've got to go through the finance minister's press sec They'll vet everything. They'll go through it with a fine-tooth comb to make sure it's all on point. So, for instance, Bill English vetoed us saying that we had allocated money for uh, accru- uh, essential arts infrastructure. I think he said something like, Christopher, you know, infrastructure is pipes and roads. <laughs> it's, not, it's not orchestras. It's not orchestras. Not- <laughs> pipes. that's what he said. I mean, he's right, of course, but, you know, it did, did, did uh, dull
2: the impact of our announcement a little bit. Um, hey, Annabel, one of the kind of most conspicuous of the pre-budget announcements, which was made on Sunday by Porter Williams, was about uh, funding for police numbers, six hundred millions 600 million, including a pledge to ratio uh, one copper per 480 people. I quite like the idea of it being one, you know, like we each have each we each get into cohorts of four hundred yeah, and eighty people and we one police officer. We have their yeah. have their mobile number and we yeah. can, you know, just sort of keep in touch if shit goes down. Yeah. Um but but that 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 also the you know targeting gangs seemed quite deliberately staged in order to sort of uh uh an attempt to spike the guns of the the ram raiders, as it were, to sort of show we're doing something about this uh, supposed uh, spate of youth crime.
1: Mm. Yeah, well, we've had weeks of hysteria about um, the RAM raids and and actually um, a lot of concern about the um, increase in gang violence that's been um, imported into New Zealand via the 501. So, yeah, it seems like it's a bit of a, a defensive move on the government's part, and I imagine that... Um, the budget that will be announced will be quite centrist and focus mm. on on those issues that um, that kind of centre voters tend to care about the most, like law and order and those sorts of things. I think you know, fair pay agreements and all of that won't be um, like a centrepiece of, of the of the budget. It'll be more around those stuff, that those issues that um, centre voters care about, in the hope that they can start to win back turn the tide on um, on um, Laxon's growing popularity.
2: Grant Robertson has been trailing that climate and health are the sort of two big poles of the tent. We'll come back to climate in a bit because that adds an extra kind of complication to budget season. Um, health is obviously a major overhaul of the health system. We'll touch on that in a moment too. Uh, I think but, it'll be
1: interesting in terms of the Maori Health Authority to see what sort of horse trading or has gone on, or if there's going to be a bit of you know ram rating Peter to pay Paul in terms of you know <laughs> the whānau Fana, <laughs> order budgets versus the Maori Health Authority.
2: Yeah, cool. yeah, and then and then on top of all that, um, the great sort of looming narrative that we've been grappling with over the recent weeks and months as, as much of the world as the cost a crisis. And, Ben, do you think there will be something in the budget that is a sweetener or, uh, as the Australians will put it, a hip-pocket-type relatable something or other? Grant Robertson has said there won't be any, um, any generalised tax cuts, hmm. but maybe there'll be something beyond... A likely extension of half price public transport and the deduction in
0: the fuel tax. Well, yeah, I think the the extension of the fuel tax subsidy is. Uh, I mean, that, I think that's uh, pretty much a given. As mm-hmm. as uh, the the empty tank light came on in my car, and so i look I started looking up at <laughs> ninety one prices <laughs> along Dominion Road and i was like oh it's getting pretty near three dollars again um yeah. so I, th- I think if they let that run its course as planned uh you would actually find that sh- you know shortly after um the budget you know prices would be well over three dollars again and I think that um that would be that would be very bad politically for the government um Especially in the wake of no general tax cuts, um, you could probably expect tax cuts or at least movement on the brackets next year. I would say in the uh, you know prior to the election, uh, Robertson, of course, is the architect of that interest-free student loan uh, policy from two thousand and five, which a lot of commentators, including me, think you know won the election for Labor that year. Um, mm. His preference and Labor's preference, you know, over quite a long time, you know, for the last two governments, has been for you know those sort of targeted subsidies or or benefits, you know, yeah. rather than sort of global kind of um, sort of ambient tax cuts. So I think they'll probably be working on on something in that area. They've they've already done enough here, but they they keep. You know, they keep rolling over and doubling the winter energy payment, and mm. you know, all of these mm. sort of little things um, that you know are probably appreciated by the people who get them, and and sort of otherwise sort of fall out of our sight. I think you know if you're not a recipient. Um, in terms of you know what is that narrative that they're going to be creating out of this budget? You know the the in the lead up to it, Robertson has sort of talked about you know basic, basically being the sensible sensible dad. You know, he's paying for health. He's paying for climate. He's paying for the things that we need. You know, not not anything splashy or, you know, not 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 treats. Um, and and the, you know whether he's sort of under under promising so that he can over deliver on the day for individual expectation or voters, management. Surely, he, well, you'd think so because you know the sorts of things that we've have been flagged. You know, like paying off DHB debt. Um, which is, you know, first of all, very considerable. <laughs> That's a lot of money. That, mm. But, but at the same time you know, is about as sort of exciting as, you Mm. know, getting your monthly paycheck and then putting it all, you know, paying off your credit card and your parking fines. Um, It doesn't really give you that sort of, you know, bonanza sort of feeling. Um, And so, you know, politically you would say that's not a great return on your $6 billion. Mm. So, you know, whether they'll be looking at, you know, maybe even minor tax bracket uh, adjustments sort of at the lower levels, you know, certainly not touching that hundred and eighty grand threshold, probably maybe not even getting into that uh, 33% tax bracket, but maybe at the lower lower range. You yeah, know, who knows? Uh, it might be sort of extra, you know, turbocharging, further working for families, that kind of thing. But, uh, you know, by, by and large, I don't think you'd be looking – you know, you, pr- you probably wouldn't uh, put a higher purchase on, you know, a, a PlayStation or a flat-screen TV in anticipation of paying it off from what you get out of the budget.
1: The The difficulty that the government has is that anything they try to do in the budget to mitigate um, inflation, the opposition will call, um, you know, they will say that that spending is inflatory. Is that the mm. right term? So, inflationary. Inflationary, sorry. Aroha Um, But um, so they're kind of stuck in a bit of a catch-22. But just picking up on the, the winter energy payment, it's kind of like one of those hallmark moves of this government where by being um, sort of an act of equality is actually a, a lot about, creates more inequity because basically any, every super annuitant is eligible for the winter mm. energy payment, even though there's like, Probably tens of thousands of them that don't need it.
0: Thirty thousand of them earning over a hundred grand a yeah. year before their super.
1: And then there's far nowhere that winter in it who live in the you know the heart of the king country where they have the most astronomical power bills and pay two power bills a month. Um, you know could actually do do with with more money than what the super annuitant's getting, and it's just one of those things where. You are literally throwing money at a problem instead of going in there and, and using legislation to deal with the heart of the issue.
2: Raising capital or taking your business to the world? Investment Fix has the lowdown on everything you need to make it happen. This season, we're exploring the US market, the opportunities it offers, what it takes to grow a business there and the best way to approach investors. Join some of the superstars of the investment and business world as they share advice from their time in the US so you can make your mahi count in this massive market. The Investment Fix podcast, brought to you by Invest New Zealand. Tune in today.
0: Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today.
2: So a couple of days ago on Monday, we had a budget of a different sort in the form of three, in fact. It was was like Christmas. We had three emissions budgets, which uh, cover periods of years Leading up to uh, and beyond, to 2030, and they uh, basically track out how how we have to push, sink the lid on our uh, emissions as a country, and those budgets then uh, they're like a kind of I guess a, a sort of drawing dots on a map of where you want to go, and then on this Monday before the budget and budget week Monday coming. We will have the Emissions Reduction Plan, which is a critical part of the Zero Climate Act, and that will put the kind of meat on the bone there to terribly mix the metaphor. That will sort of plot out the track on that map and some pretty difficult decisions. It will also probably uh, mean that we'll end up buying some carbon credits abroad, which is pretty... Uh, questionable in terms of the commitment to the cause, um, and it will also have some implication. It'll 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 mean that this whole thing is going to have to start hurting a bit in a way that it hasn't so far. It's mostly been uh, relatively light touch. Then the timing of it is interesting, running a few days ahead of the budget, and the budget will then fold that in. It's almost as if uh, they want to get that done and then move on to the budget, which might have a bit more of a, that, in terms of that narrative, you talk about a bit more of a positive spin. I'm not sure if people are paying a huge amount of attention to it. Certainly there are people in the rural sector who will be, people in the transport sector who will be. We've had talk about a congestion charge. We're likely to hear about a congestion charge on Monday. Um And there's also an interesting question about whether or not National gets in behind it, because obviously this thing is going to have a lot more durability if it has cross-party support. Um, Do you think the National Party will get behind it? Do you think this is going to be something that is going to become uh, a major political issue in the
0: lead up to the next election? As somebody who's worked in Parliament, I'm very pessimistic about (laughs) that. Um, about a a Westminster parliamentary democracy's ability to grapple with climate change Mm. Um, Mm. in the sense that, you know, we've had these ambitious... You know, in 2008, um, Helen Clark and John Key both... uh, I think Clark campaigned on uh, carbon neutral by 2050. Key Mm. campaigned on reducing emissions in half by 2030. Now you would, if if you were in two thousand and eight, and you were looking forward to fourteen years hence, closer to twenty thirty than you were to two thousand and eight, you would think, well, whoever got in at that election, our car, our carbon emissions would be drastically down by twenty twenty two. And, and they are not. They they are, they are higher than they've ever been. Um, and you know, and it's it's the same. It's the same way that you know, if, if you know the 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 global leadership of Ben Thomas will always think that you know, probably before the summer of 2022, maybe about like September October. That's when the exercise regime will really start gearing up. And the weight and the weight loss will kick in in earnest, right? And um, and and the the you know and, and we see this, you know, even though it's not directly related to emissions reductions, we've you know we've seen you know this year how people react when petrol becomes very expensive, right? <laughs> people freak out and they want action yep. and they want it to be reduced in price. Now that's a real yep. problem when your main mechanism for reducing emissions is is a price-based method, which is the ETS. And we saw yep. this as soon as the ETS came in in 2009, that it, or even when it was being designed in 2008. There were carve-outs all over the place because as soon as anybody protested and said, well, this is going to make life difficult for our industry, the government would buckle and start giving them free emissions and yeah. you know, and refuse to just sort of be upfront and say, well, the, the, this is meant to make things harder. It's meant to make emitting carbon harder and more expensive. Um, that's a feature, not a bug. It's the whole point. It's not even a feature. It's the whole thing, you know. And so so I, look, I'm, I'm very pessimistic about whether these things can work. You know, sure, National have said they agree to the budget, right? Of course they agree with the budget. Labor agrees with the budget. Will either of these parties actually put in place, you know, the, the, the regulatory framework to bring emissions down, or even the cap on the ETS in yeah, terms of the maximum yeah. amount of, Carbon emissions to to actually bring it down to that level. I mean, you know, touch wood. I'd, you'd hope it's so, hard, and it's and I
2: mean, to I suppose the 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 glimmer of optimism uh, to counter that is that although there's nothing jolly about it, we are seeing quite literally the impacts of climate change. We had that sea rise report, which you know, I think. I think a lot of people sat up and took notice of, which showed the maps around the country, showed communities that are facing the very real prospect of managed retreat. Those sorts of real-life impacts mean that we have moved on from those days where there are a lot of people who were either vocally or quietly to themselves thinking, this isn't either A, that real, or B, going to affect me directly. On top of which you have examples from... Australia most recently in their election, but also different parts of the world, where while people have for a long time said that climate change is when they're rung up by the pollsters, they say, yep, it's one of the important issues, there's been relatively little sense that it's been something that would actually have any determining effect on people's votes. And I'm not sure if that's the case any longer. I think that is certainly changing, whether it's rapid or not, whether it's enough to make a difference, I don't know. But Annabelle, it's a... It's increasingly going to be part of what determines what influences people's decisions at the ballot box, don't you think?
1: Climate change? Yes. I'm not sure that it will, to be honest, Tove. Um, I think it's one of those issues, like Ben says, everybody cares about it, but nobody really wants to make their own personal s- sacrifice when it comes to using their cars and that sort of thing. Mm. But just in terms of the... Um, the announcements this week it seems like the um you know our government's response is, is again going to unfairly impact maori. you would have seen um there was an interview on on um, morning report this morning um about a about a story sorry not an interview about how um how Maori land, um, which a lot of it is, is um planted in pine is yeah. not gonna be exempt um under the the, the new strategy. Where, where there's all these carve outs for, you know, dairy and all of that stuff, um Maori and the little vestiges of their whenua that they have left, which is a lot of it quite um difficult to utilize over the, you know, over the last few decades have been planted in pine to try and get some use out of it, and now now um those e are going to be unfairly stung for it in terms of you know um the announcement this week about a proposed um congestion tax you know my experience as a as a parent trying to get a del maori education for your child is that we don't have um kuta in every neighborhood and at the end of every street and Whānau often have to travel quite long distances to be able to get their tamariki into a kura where they can learn te reo Māori. So, what impact is that going to have on those whānau who are having to, you know, drive from central Auckland to west Auckland or from south Auckland to west Auckland or wherever to get the reo Māori education they want their tamariki to have? So, it, ju- it just seems like there's uh, obviously not enough consultation with Māori about how these issues affect ordinary whānau at a very practical level.
2: That concern that was raised about, this, uh, about pine trees versus natives and sequestration rules and so on came from the Māori Party, Te Party Māori. And let's talk about Te party Māori a bit because it's reached that point in the electoral cycle. It seems like sometimes under an MMP election you kind of get a year and a half of governing and a year and a half of discussing what... Doing kind of phony coalition <laughs> negotiations <laughs> and asking for bottom lines and would you agree with this or that? Most recently, in the last twenty four hours, the Christopher Luxon has faced a whole bunch of questions about whether or not he would go along with David Seymour enacts um, the the the, their, the alternative budget that they put out this week, whether or not David Seymour could be finance <laughs> minister, all this sort of stuff. What what, what do you sure
0: what do you call a a list? of 30 government departments and agencies to be cut. What? A good start. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, thanks,
2: Ben. The, um, the, 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 the But I suppose the only good thing about that really from Lux and National's point of view is that last time they got towards an election, no one was really quizzing them about what impact <laughs> might do in the coalition because no one was seriously considering it as a possibility whereas now it's obviously the polls are saying it's a real thing as the polls are saying indeed based on the last two maybe three that Tepati Maori would be in ye maker, kingmaker queenmaker uh bossmaker position and about and there was that the the, the um, uh uh Rawiri Waititi and and Dibbing Atawapeka were interviewed together on Q&A on Sunday and they were having a very jolly time talking about whether or not they might take whether or not who, who might take a deputy prime minister role and so on and so forth. Uh, do, you, do you think that Te Parti Māori would contemplate a relationship with National? I mean, they've said they wouldn't if ACT were at the table, which seems to rule it out. Do you think that they it would work for them even to go into a governing relationship, given in the past the electorate has punished them for that? I
1: think... Um they have to keep all of their options open but it's abundantly clear that their preference is not to have to enter into a coalition deal with with um with national having said that i don't think that they would want to completely rule out that possibility either and they might see themselves as having a softening effect on on um, on, on the policies of a of a potential national government they are acutely aware that, that Te Ao Māori fell out of love with them because of their past relationship with National, and I think they've done a really excellent job over the last term of um, of putting the past behind them, selecting the, the most important issues that resonate with Māori, but also just some key issues that kind of keeps them in the public eye, like the the Taonga versus Thai issue and all of that. Mm. I think they've mm. again done an excellent job this week in terms of you know dem- uh, po- pointing out that Maori are not responsible for climate change, and yet again it's going to be Maori that that are um, unfairly punished as a result of James Shaw's new approach. I think that the difficulty now is that that Labour's Maori MPs see the Maori Party as a as a serious threat. I think mm. they I, I think that um we can be pre- it's very, very likely that Deb N Adi woman will win Tetehoo next time. Mm. Um I think there's a possibility that they could win more seats. I think Rawadi will most certainly hold on to Waiariki. And mm. so that makes growing that that relationship between Labour and the Māori Party difficult. Having said that, if Labour needs them to govern, they will roll over, you know, they will roll over their Māori MPs to make that happen.
0: Mm. Yeah, um, I, yeah I, I I mean, look, the, I think Annabelle's right in the sense that Deb and Naori have done a great job PR-wise and messaging-wise. They're like, you know, we're, we're not, uh, you know, Peter Sharples, the Uncle Tom sitting at the table, you know, paying off his mortgage with his ministerial salary, um, mm. these do not reflect my feelings about dr Sir Peter charpleles so great got... a great new Zealander and a great yeah. was a great politician but the, but th- there was you know there were some very very pointed attacks on Sharples and Turia, um, you know because and Tururoa, as you know with their association with national which you know I often think' is sort of unfair you know they they weren't <laughs> they weren 't well if if you think about you know if you think about what the the National Party and the Labour Party uh, in government will talk about in terms of their provision for Maori, they talk about Funoara, which was Dame Tariana Turia's uh, brainchild, and that's survived both governments and it's it's increased its funding over the years. So now it's much bigger than it started off as. Um, you know that's a success story and. The Kermadex, uh, you know, reserve, that's still on hold because of of Marama Fox, the Māori Party, you know, basically kicking up a stink and saying, no, you can't impinge on post-settlement uh, fishing rights just, just so you can make a, you know, nice announcement at the UN. Um, you know, they, they were actually a lot more effective than people th- thought, uh, but they were bad at selling their message. In contrast, uh, Debbie and um, Rawiri, you know, are not con- they're not constructive politicians at all. <laughs> um, they they don't have a positive vision for for pretty much anything. They're not they're not really interested in you know in in cutting deals in you know in sort of affecting. Actual change, and I, I think they would probably admit that. You know, they, they're there, there, there. there. They're there to be a sort of protest voice. Yeah, well, that's when, their
1: bag, though. They're they they they're an opposition party, yeah. and they're there to prove a point to Te ao Māori. It's like a mm. long term strategy. First of all, they've got to say fuck you to like everyone, so that they yeah. so that they build their mana chops back up, and then they can start engaging constructively. The other thing too is in terms of the past. Māori Party, I think Peter Shappell always had quite some quite conservative leanings and mm. Tariana had that massive beef with with Helen Clark that she was just never able to move past and they were appallingly treated by Clark you know, the whole haters and wreckers and last cab off the rank and, and all of that stuff but the thing about this pa- Māori Party is that you have JT in the background and JT is a labour man through and through at the end of the day
2: I think the other thing that's worth mentioning just briefly is Debbie Nadu work in Taranaki on the vaccine rollout. That was what I was going to say. And in a very constructive and very Debbie Nadu you know, throughout
0: her career has actually been a doer, not not a not a, a firebrand. She is actually somebody who has an extraordinary record of getting things done. Mm. And, and I think would make an exceptional minister. Um but, but that suggests that the two aren't incompatible, right? Like you can be you can be
2: uh, highly antagonistic as an opposition politician at the same time as doing on the ground some quite constructive stuff. Yeah, and yeah, on the ground, but, consider- but not
0: necessarily in parliament. I don't, you, you can't have the positioning sure. that the Māori Party has right now and be... In, in government or in coalition sort of in a constructive way. Um, the other the other the other the other
2: curiosity that it sort of attaches to that is that there's been some speculation that uh, Adrian Ludafir might be in line as Labour's choice for speaker given he's performed pretty well as a deputy and that could mean he moves to the list and that would obviously uh, make Titahi even more achievable for Debbie packer in in the election. Speaking of the speaker, did you notice that excellent segue? Did. Congratulations to me. <laughs> yeah, um,
0: Trevor Mallard.
2: I don't know if you know the name. Uh, he's the current speaker of the House of Representatives, and he has been a little more headline grabbing than most speakers are over the course of this term, particularly. Uh, most recently, it was a kind of bit of a forty-eight hour wonder. But it was astonishing. At first, Matt King, the former national MP from Northland, uh, posted on his Facebook page that he'd had a trespass notice issued by parliamentary security in relation to his appearances during the occupation of parliament, whatever it was, six weeks ago, seven weeks ago, eight weeks ago. And this seemed sort of astonishing at first and also an absolute gift to Matt King, who is at the moment in a bit of a tussle among maybe a dozen different political movements that are trying to harness the energies of that occupation, the so-called freedom movement, to turn them into a political force. This was, you know, a little bit of kind of Streisand effect, Matt King style. And then, then a few hours later, it turned out that Winston Peters a former Deputy Prime Minister, had also been issued with a trespass notice banning him from Parliament grounds for two years and cr- just seemed astonishing. Now, Mallard tried to make it clear that these were delegated decisions that had been made by the security. Um, I wrote a piece about this too. I won't bore you with the details, but you can read it on the spinoff about the time I was... Uh, issued with a trespass notice from Parliament for reasons that were quite comical. insofar so far as I wasn't at the event that I was <laughs> trespassed for, um, safety first. But this just seemed—it was just absolutely flabbergasting. It was just—I don't know. What do you guys think? I—I I, I sort of struggle to see. I struggle to see how they could possibly have ended up in that position.
0: Y- yeah. Look. <sighs> I've, I've got a few thoughts on this. I mean, in, t- in terms of how they ended up in the position, I, th- I think this might have been an example of Mallard, again, trying to do the right thing, which I think he's I, – I, I genuinely think he he has tried as Speaker to improve things, and he just doesn't get it right, mm. um, which is as good a reason to move somebody on as, as any. Um in this the sense that, you know, he he introduced this sort of first he introduced this sort of weird kind of point system of penalties and rewards. Uh, it was very very in keeping with his um, with his This is in parliamentary question time. Yeah, in, in, in parliamentary question time. Very in keeping with his sort of uh, Roger Gnome sort of origins in the 80s uh, you know sort of creating the perfect market for for, a, An for a good market. question time by <laughs> by levering the incentives and disincentives and, and what it turned it into I think Audrey young I think called it a, a game show and it, and it just became a debacle where he'd start you know deducting 10 supplementary questions and five you know you couldn't even keep it it was just ridiculous um, but it did I think it did come from a place of good intentions of trying to make questions Question time, you know, better run, you know, to 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 have it conducted with more integrity, and it just didn't work. And I, you know, I think I suspect that his his actions during the parliamentary protests were the same. I think he maybe he genuinely thought that playing Barry Manilow would either lower the temperature or uh, encourage people to leave, but it just you know it just turned the whole thing into a farce. And now you know, I think he probably thought. Well, since since there were political figures involved in this, since it was highly politicised, since I've been criticised for my conduct during this issue, I should leave yeah. this to the professionals, parliamentary security. Now, God bless parliamentary security, but they're, <laughs> they're not... They're not, they're not professionals in the same sense of like you know Liam Neeson in Take It or whatever, right? Like they're, <laughs> they're professionals and <laughs> that they have employment contracts.
1: They do have a <laughs> they do have a certain skill set, but <laughs> but secure, securing isn't really one of them. Yeah. yeah.
0: And, you know, I mean, I think as, some, as somebody pointed out, I can't remember who Claire Trevor pointed out, you know, parliamentary security pretty pretty stretched, chasing chickens around parliamentary ground up grounds if they're released during a protest, you know. And so I think Mallard probably thought, well, I'll, I'll remove the politics from it and I'll let, you know, these... These guys, these jobs, just a literally walk around Parliament and make sure nobody accidentally brings keys through the metal detector. Mm. Um, so what did they do? Did they just Google Google who was at the occupation
2: they, at Parliament? That,
0: that was what. That's what they said. They said that they gave trespass notices to every person they could identify who had been taken part in the in the protest and the yeah. occupation, which I yeah. assume, yeah, was just Googling. And obviously Rodney Hyde came up. He got served with one. Winston Peters came up. He got served with one. Now, of course, these people weren't actually occupying. They didn't stay there. They just walked through. It was like to a, be like fair, a I years don't years. think
1: they just Googled. I think they probably did a bit of Facebooking, maybe <laughs> looked up friends of friends. On Facebook yeah. and maybe a little bit of Twitter. And <laughs> maybe stuff on their as family well. WhatsApp
2: groups. Hey, did anybody see anyone who was at the. Yeah, I mean, instant, they did issue trespass notices to all the people who were arrested. Yep. And, you know, that's hard to argue with. I mean, they didn't seem to issue trespass notices to a bunch of them. They should read my pieces. I've identified many of the occupation leaders and the people were, who were, some of them, pretty much calling for the storming of Parliament. Maybe I, those people I th- would get trespass notices, but no, instead the Deputy Prime Minister who wandered through. I think it was pretty much, one. I
0: think it was the first page of Google, which as we know is now mainly ads, you know. Yes. And so by doing that, by 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 delegating it and trying to keep it professional, this uh, total blunder went through. Well, Peter should never have been trespassed you know irrespective of the optics you know he just he wasn't an occupier he wasn't an organizer he was mm. an old has been politician on the make looking for some media coverage by doing the walk through getting his getting his daily constitutional um <laughs> <laughs> might, might have been off to MSD to smooth out any irregularities with his winter <laughs> energy payment, but like, um, but he, you know, and 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 it was just a, it was just another fuck up on this from Ballard. And I look, he's he was a very good minister in the Clark government, as bio reports, you know, he's a good MP in the eighties. He's been a good constituency MP through the years. It's, it's time to let him go. And he's enjoy a good it.
2: student of standing orders and he's quite interested in standing orders committee chewing over nerdily those sorts of facts. He was good in terms of interesting in terms of taking on eye, Graham Edgela's idea that there should be a secret ballot for Speaker. It's just that somehow, I don't know, is it kind of, does he love the drama? I don't know, Annabelle. Uh, is it a problem for Jacinda Ardern? I guess is the ultimate question. Right?
1: Um, yeah, well, it's becoming a problem. Well, yeah, but not a fatal problem, not, not you know, like gonna cost you the election problem, more just like an irritating sideshow that she has to address. I agree with Ben. I don't think he's this insidious actor doing evil shit, even though if you listen to some of the commentary around, you know, p- um, playing Barry Manilow, you would think that it was like the worst form of, of torture in the <laughs> whole universe. Like, I, I think that... Exactly as Ben says, he's. A, I think he's a well-intentioned guy who just makes some some poor decisions, and 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 this one in particular is is really not a good look. It also just gives oxygen to people like Winston Peters, who you know will use it for for all it's worth. Is it a sackable offence? I don't think so. Is it a gross a- abuse of power? No, just some just a dumb just a dumb call really. Is it time for him to move on? Most definitely.
2: Thank you, Annabelle. that's uh, as good a place as any to wind it up. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Sonny. Thank you, Te here. Thank you, members. Thank you, Prince Harry. Uh, we're out. Like us. Share us. Rank us. Review us. Are those the things I should say? Yeah, they're
0: all good things. Okay. Love you, bye. Kia ora e te Kia here, Podcast Manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate.